Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Sunday Recap, the weekly edition of the Grace Bible Church podcast, where we talk about life and faith based off of our sermon this past Sunday. For more recordings of our sermons, for more podcasts, visit begrace.org slash podcast. For more information about Grace Bible Church, visit begrace.org. I'm Joey Cologne. I'm Kendrick Spez. I'm Chris Webster. I'm Dave McMurray. And I'm Eunice Cho. Well, thanks. I had to say that real fast. Us. I was supposed to mm-hmm. say it real fast. Mm-hmm. The goal was fast, but not yelling in the microphone. But, you know, <laughs> you win some, you lose some. Somebody was echoing. Do we got that taken care of already? I got it. It's okay, off. Cool. That was me. Sweet. I'm bad. Sorry. You're bad. You're so bad. Dave's sitting outside in lovely weather, drinking a nice tea. Yeah. No, he's Actually, drinking Coca Lua coffee. Coca Lua. What's that called? I don't know. Anyways. Copy Luak. There you go. Copy Luak. <laughs> Copy Luak. Got it. Got it. Any updates from anyone? Anything exciting happened for anyone in the last couple of weeks? Don't hmm. start. <laughs> oh, yeah. No updates. Don't okay. start. Right, cool. <laughs> I thought maybe somebody had a good life event that they might want to share with everybody, but I guess not. I guess we'll just get right into the actual podcast. Why? Well, Oh, I almost passed my nursing exam, but but I did not. But oh, someone no. I know. I didn't oh, know man. you were studying for nursing, yeah. Chris. That's really cool. embarrassing because I I actually also failed my nursing exam. And, uh, That's so man. embarrassing. Anybody else have any better news? Do you want to know what was really strange? Speaking of nursing stuff, was when yeah. when Wesley Pope was preaching. I got his read ahead on how to introduce him and it was like a licensed nurse in the state of texas and i was like oh okay i didn't know wesley that, so. pope is an rn it's RN. Uh, i don't know that's crazy i didn't it, know that. the introduction wasn't registered nurse so i was very careful to say what it said it said licensed nurse oh. so i don't know hmm. if there's a difference or not because i'm not a nurse but he had but a full army a difference. and he works now in like administration in the hospital but uh, for a long time, he was a nurse. Well, that's cool. Anyways, that's my story about nursing. <laughs> wow. Anybody else, Kendrick? Do you, do you have a story about nursing, Kendrick? Yeah, I was just thinking, man, that nursing test from last week. It was hard. It'd be oh. nice if, if the people that took it got the results. Because I think we all failed. Well, let me not say all failed. <laughs> Well, I know results have been delayed a lot of places sometimes. Oh my you know, gosh, yeah. you guys are so ridiculous. Uh, well, anyways, I took my I took my NCLEX exam, which is the licensure exam, and I passed. Yay! Oh my goodness! I mean, I love you guys for all of your support and love, but like forcing me to. Before we started, you specifically said, "Don't do this." So I don't know if that's. Harassment or but something, but our joy for Eunice propelled us forward. We're happy, yeah. Eunice. So happy, Eunice. Well, if anybody's looking to hire a nurse, you let you let Eunice know. She wants to quit Thanks, the guys. podcast and start being a nurse. So, whatever, we'll let it happen. <laughs> all right. Well, with all that aside, we'll edit it out for the recording so that it's uh, not awkward. Uh, This will be the real start right here. Well, this week we're in Daniel chapter 9. 
in our series of what to do when the world falls apart. Um, Dave, you highlighted that it really might feel for a lot of people that the world is falling apart this week. And so I think you spent, uh, well, I was going to say you spent a good amount of time talking about that. But actually, before we even start, did you break your record this week? For sermon length? I think I did. Kendrick knows better. I don't know. Have you looked at the actual recording length? Oh, man. Not <clears> yet. I did. It was a little confusing because I had an update before. But I think even if you cut off the update, I still broke my record. Oh, wow. What That's was your crazy. record? Because last week you were 52 minutes. Yeah, I think my record is 58. I don't oh, think I've actually man. gone over an hour yet. So I think this okay. week I was like at 102 maybe. Really? I don't think you were that long. I'll tell you after the podcast. Yeah, I'll you edit the other one. All I know is that like towards the end of your sermon, I started hearing the Chariots of Fire theme song. (laughs) (laughs) Dave just kept going and it went slow motion for a bit. Yeah. Unison and Chris and I were in your office towards the very end, and we were like, I don't know, it might be the record, it might not be, blah, blah, blah. I was like, hey, I don't know if it's ever going to end. And then you finally ended, and we were like, all right, let's go. And we ran on stage to do um, the, what do we call that thing? Hanging, Hanging in the lobby. Hanging. I also have, I, I have a, an observation. I felt like you were a little bit extra sassy on Sunday. So, you know. Yeah, there was, there was just way more off the cuff. I was, I was feeling very passionate. Mm. I've been praying, not in sackcloth and ashes, but praying and like <laughs> aching and thinking. Mm. You know, I mean, it was just, there was just a lot of, there's a lot of oomph because our country is really, it's just nuts so right now. So I think with the election coming, I felt an extra sense of like, I got it. I got to make some more aside comments. So I, yeah, I, I talked a lot more than normal. But it's all good. Mm, it's you, good just, uh, trust, you trust that the Lord is still on the throne, even when Dave preaches a long sermon. <laughs> <laughs> so our goal today is that our podcast is actually shorter than your sermon. What do you think about that? Whoa. Oh, that'd, be the, that'd be a first, I think. Duh. That'd be a first. Well, Daniel chapter 9, uh, you want to give us a little bit of, I guess, the story in chapter 9 before we talk through the details? Yeah, so it's kind of an interlude in the midst of, like, the second half of Daniel is all weird visions, except for nine. Nine is Daniel reading the prophet Jeremiah, seeing that there's a seventy, you know, prediction of the exile, and then that drives him to pray. So it's you've got this long prayer by Daniel, this model prayer. Daniel's very much a Christ figure. You can line up the uh, stories of Joseph. And then the life of Daniel, and then the life of Jesus. And there's just a lot of similar kind of holy man, holy teacher that, you know, is making sacrifices and is suffering on behalf of his people kind of concept. And so there's this long model prayer for, from Daniel. And then Gabriel flies in and gives more predictions. So that's the kind of little prophecy stuff at the end. So there's a lot in Daniel 9. But it's a great chapter. It's one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. You did a lot of math uh, during your sermon. Mm-hmm. What type of Tricky. math was it? It was like algebra or geometry? It was... Trick. Multiplication. Ah. <laughs> Eunice is like, it was first grade math. First grade. <laughs> there's this really weird thing with the predictions where there's like, it's going to be this long, but then there are gaps in it. So that just that's what confuses everybody. That's why nobody agrees on the end times is basically because of the gaps. Mm. 
people want it to just all go, you know, in order with no gaps, but there are some gaps and it's confusing. Cool. What was cool. your, I don't know. I have lots of notes handwritten from the first and second nice. point, but not a lot from the third point. Maybe it's because you're rushing or maybe it's because I, uh, I got called away a couple times during the third point. So I'll, I'll look well, over your notes. Was, sent, but... was mostly where all the math was. That's why. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, that makes sense. So I don't, I remember your introduction being about taking people on deployments, which probably makes mm-hmm. sense for what? 40% of our people, 60% mm-hmm. of people. Yeah. Anybody, uh, ever experienced that chris have you ever experienced taking someone to a deployment no i think we've all watched the the social media videos of oh, the those return are always the welcome home videos. not the same oh well yeah. still the ache is there right like <laughs> yeah 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 i was trying to talk about how that was a really hard thing for me and Dude, it was a thousand times harder for my friends, but like it hurt me, you know? Um, yeah, but I think then spinning that out, but it's part of what took the introduction so long was I, I had really did a double sermon. I was talking about exile in general. Exile is this theme throughout the entire Bible. Um, so that feeling we have of being away from home is our spiritual status. You know, that's that ache and that longing to get back home is is where we live spiritually every day. Um, and so just kind of trying to capture that feeling a little bit, but for me, not being a soldier, I just get that when I'm, you know, when I'm gone for a week or two, just wanting to get back to my own bed. Um, but I think right now in our culture, we feel it in a larger sense of this is not the way things are supposed to be, you know? It made me think of, my daughter who the other night we had been at my wife's parents house and we had you know eaten dinner or whatever we stayed a little late driving back home of course the kids fall asleep in the car we pull in the driveway as soon as i parked the car claudia's like daddy i want to be in my bed <laughs> i was like that's that's it yeah. right there she wasn't yeah. even gone for like three hours <laughs> she misses home yeah yeah good <laughs> oh dave froze we're oh. doing lots of good pauses today hope you all enjoy that i'm not <laughs> editing them out that takes way oh, too much work oh man you guys know if you want to listen to podcasts without awkward and long pauses the best way to do it is to use the app overcast we're not sponsored by them but overcast has a setting where you can listen to it and it just cuts all the gaps out for you whoa yep didn't know that the best podcast app i've ever used Anyways, magic, All right. magic. Main, main point number one. Let's get on track if we're going to beat Dave Sermon time. All right. First point. Actually, not first point. We didn't even say what your title was. Your title this week was Long for Home. Oh, good timing on that one. Long for Home. Uh, and your main points were denounce our failure, ask for undeserved kindness, and live like you are loved. Mm-hmm. Those are from my notes, is that right? Yeah. All right. Yep. Denounce our failure. You talked about failure being uh, the word you chose to use for sin. Um, mm-hmm. It means to miss the mark or to fall short. Mm-hmm. You said sin is cosmic treason. 
I would add sin. I don't remember where I heard this either, but infinite sin against an infinite God. That's another way to look at like cosmic treason wording, I mm-hmm. think. But mm-hmm. anyone else have a clever way to describe failure or sin? Hmm. <laughs> I don't have anything clever on that. <laughs> yeah. that <messed> up. <laughs> How about artsy? <laughs> Although I do, that made me think of Halloween and we always play the, um, which, which I forget which Christian people made the, uh, sin is the scariest song. Sin, it's the scariest. Do you know that? That thing is awesome. I'm surprised I don't know. I've never heard that. Wow. Oh, man, it's so good. It's like they make it sound spooky, but it's just talking about it separates us from our God behind these prison walls. It's the greatest. How do I not know this? Who is it? It's it's the uh, it's the people who made the ology. That's what it's called. It's the album called the ology. Uh, play on theology and there's a song Mikow- called Mikowski is that his name Mikowski I think that sounds right yeah yeah so, yeah go look it up people. it sounds like it sounds like something that would come out of like the hunchback of Notre Dame it's like <laughs> he plays it up it's like pretty it's pretty epic yeah yeah mm. it's good I don't know how I don't know this but yeah okay <laughs> go get it this in is, your head this is strange to me play, play it every Halloween only if they have a Thanksgiving uh, album mm-hmm. as well do they have a Thanksgiving album as well uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's just gonna be like <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> cool. Okay. Cool. Missing the marks in. Uh, <laughs> are we missing the mark here? All right. Uh, denouncing our failures. What stood out to you, Eunice? <laughs> no, I don't know. I picked somebody. Kendrick. Um. Uh, even respectable people have missed the mark. Uh, mm. Dave said that right after he quoted Romans three twenty three, mm-hmm. uh, that we all have sinned, and uh, that was a that was a big big deal to me, inwardly and outwardly, especially in the times that we kind of live in. Mm-hmm. where it's easy to fall into the trap of the sinner is this guy, not this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, even inwardly, where it's like, I do respectable things. I am not that bad. Just a constant mm-hmm. reminder of uh, my own sin. Mm-hmm. Next thing that stood out to me in this point, too, was that he chose to use the word shame and mm-hmm. um, how he was saying shame in this and pretty much in like pop culture, a little bit different than how the bible in this passage is referring to shame um he was saying shame is the feeling that goes along with doing something wrong so i should be mm-hmm. ashamed of my sin like so i should be grossed out by it these shameful emotions towards sin are okay and i would say even healthy so that we can have a right perspective of, mm-hmm. of our own sin so um Man, maybe I, the whole first point was great, too, because even confessing corporate sin, this, of course, you talked on it, Dave, but that's like a huge debate. Do we mm-hmm. say, Lord, our people have sinned, forgive us for our <clears> past? <throat> or do we just say, I didn't have any part in that, but I had part in this sin today. So I think uh, for me, that was very encouraging. As weird as it sounds, that's like a form of therapy uh, in a way. For me going home that night and was like, our people have sinned. Our world has sinned, but mm-hmm. 
forgive us and it's kind of healing in a way mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. to to confess corporate sin um, mm-hmm. and personal sin so I think yeah. all three of those points in that first point kind of stood out to me yeah yeah, yeah you was... talked about I'm sorry. No, you I mean, you go. put me on the spot and I yep, like blanked, obviously. But <laughs> anyways, I was going to bring up the shame thing, too. Like mm-hmm. we we talk about like different cultures and like the way we respond <clears throat> to sin slash failure. And so I grew up multicultural. Like I I'm I'm American, but I was raised. I mean, I'm, my parents are Korean. And so I was raised in a Korean culture. But Eastern culture is more honor shame. Um, and it's more of a collectivistic society. And so just the dynamics and everything that we do is different. But now Western culture is kind of moving towards more honor shame ish. There's a lot uh-huh. more where that's becoming prevalent, um, which is not I mean, like, which is not all bad, but it's also right. not all good. Right. Like yeah. <clears throat> and you were just like talking about, like, realizing your like. I mean, I guess it's kind of like the generational sin that we have to be able to admit and like repent, you know, like Mm -hmm. we are from Adam and Eve. And often we would like to think that if we were in the same situation, we would do better. But that's not true. (laughs) Like we would totally do the same thing. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's a passion of mine with the heated political divide right now to help people think biblically about specific issues because we clump them in camps, right? So if you care about the group, you're automatically a communist, you know, I'm like, Mm -hmm. well, no, I'm not a communist, but the Bible tells me to care about the group, you know, and then, or the other side, if you believe in individual responsibility, you're a conservative that hates poor people. (laughs) Like, well, no, the Bible tells me that we should be responsible, you know, like, so there are these values that like, you know, one side or the other side is like, this is the most important value. And the Bible is always encouraging us to carry those things in tension. And so our current political climate doesn't, well, doesn't allow, it's probably too strong. It encourages us to not have careful discussions. No, I think you're right. It's impossible to live in a two-party political man-made system and follow God completely Mm -hmm. if you're putting your faith and trust in that. Like that's, Mm -hmm. we talked about that already. I think you talked about that this week. Even too, but yeah. Mm-hmm. I, really, I thought you did. Oh, go ahead. Nope. You're up, Chris. <laughs> I no. I just thought I thought you did such a great job too on the the shame and well, if you call it shame and guilt, you know that guilt mm-hmm. being you're actually guilty, <laughs> and mm-hmm. shame being the feeling of being guilty. You did such mm-hmm. a great job because of there is so much psychological conversation on all that sort of psychobabble, mm-hmm. and I thought you did. I, I was just even going farther into you set up this framework of shame being the feeling of of having done something wrong or being guilty mm-hmm. and the problem like you kind of were hinting at i think you said it different ways each each sermon but the problem is disembodied shame or disembodied mm-hmm. guilt like so mm-hmm. we talk a lot about we mostly actually talk about shame without actually being guilty like yeah you just feel feel wrong for nothing that was in your control and so that right. is a dangerous thing. And then, the, but there's also the other side we didn't really talk about. I was thinking about, well, what about disembodied guilt that doesn't have the feeling of shame? Mm-hmm. That's 
that's sociopath, right? That's, that's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I just walk around yeah. doing whatever the heck I want and never feel bad about it. And, mm-hmm. and we, you know, we're guilty of that as well. And we don't talk about that one as much, possibly. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was mm-hmm. such a good, good way to think about it. The, the good and bad kinds of shame, basically. I have to have since there's awkward pauses. I'll keep going. The uh, (laughs) the uh, you know the denouncing thing you were talking about, especially the group group denouncing. I think one thing I was wondering about Mm -hmm. um, was, and I thought maybe you could talk through this a little bit: the public denouncement versus private, and the Mm. denouncing Mm -hmm. before men versus denouncing before God. So I I think I was Mm, I was kind of thinking in. Yeah, what, when we're looking at Daniel, we're actually seeing him going to God and confessing to God. Yeah. So yeah, could you just talk a little bit? Of, I have some. Yeah, I think. Yeah. One one piece of clarity I've had on that is that a leader needs needs to be publicly denouncing the group, uh, the group's failures. That's different than. Every human being going around announcing everything all the time publicly, you know. So I think when you talk about before men versus before God, I think before God, that's our number one priority. We all have responsibility before God to be honest to God in our prayer life, confessing our sin, you know, wrestling with him about other sins, corporate sins, whatever. But then publicly, <clears throat> I think, and this is where I've had people leave the church or get really mad at me. I think it's it's right and good for me as a pastor and a white Southern Bible teaching evangelical church to say, oh, by the way, white Southern evangelical Bible teaching churches taught heresy on the subject Mm -hmm. of race just 50 years ago. I'm denouncing that. That was wrong. Mm -hmm. I read about that in a history book. Never happened in my church growing up in the 80s, but apparently that was happening in the 50s and the 60s and, you know, I'm sure still happens in some places. And as a part of this kind of larger collective corporate group, I want to say that was wrong. That was evil. Mm. That grosses me out when I read those history books. I felt a sense of shame. You know, like I was like, oh, wow, I didn't know that was a part of our history, you know. Mm. But of course, I'm not personally guilty before God, but I'm a leader in this movement. So I have to say, as a part of this movement, there were wrong things that happened, you know. And I think even more broadly, Christians have to have that kind of sense of openness when they're talking to non-believers, you know, non-believer says, hey, Christian people did bad things. And, you know, in the Crusades, oh, it's kind of dumb if we're like, no, we didn't. Or let's not talk about that. You know, <laughs> it's like you have to say, yeah, that was wrong. I denounced that. You know, I mean, I just think we have to be willing to call it like it is, I guess. And talking ideologically, too, I think mm-hmm. where we what I've been observing again, this is just mm-hmm. an aside, but like this bundling of issues is where we get into trouble. It's mm-hmm. like, if that's a tenant of a certain tribe or political party, then you mm-hmm. can't even say that one piece of it without implying right. everything else that follows. So like, that, I right. think that's really what people aren't willing to, or aren't being really precise about is to say, hey, you know, America made these mistakes. And what yeah. what they hear is, and therefore here's all the solutions, and you have to vote for this political party, and you have to, right. you know, it's like, instead of saying no, I can literally just say that part, and we can still discuss all the rest. 
Um, So anyway, that's been helpful to me to say, no, it's still, you still need to call evil, evil and wrong, Mm -hmm. wrong. And you need to be able to say that without saying, and I subscribe to these hundred tenets of such a belief system, you know, because the opposite, right? The opposite is if you ever criticize your tribe, that means you hate your tribe and you're on the other team. That's, that's kind of where the current divisive climate is. And you're like, no, I, I can criticize my own group, you know, like it's good. Yeah. I think the, the Chesterton quote is a good one because, you know, you said the question was put out, what's wrong with the world? And Chesterton's answer was dear sirs, I am right. So if we, uh-huh. if we can recognize our own sin, recognize ourselves it helps us see the corporate. I think your focus on on uh, mm-hmm. taking responsibility for corporate sin, but then making it personal, you know, your application yeah. being, you know, name it, but start personally. I think that was solid and a reminder that, like, it's very easy for us to look at the other or to look at, you know, history yeah. or people who've come yeah. before us and be like, yeah, they <clears throat> sinned and we're that was wrong and we feel yeah. that. But we just, you know, we miss us and ourselves. We don't think our own. Yeah. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah, I think two extremes we go to are um, demanding it, you know, like demanding other people denounce things in a certain way, and I don't think that's appropriate. Uh, the other thing is just victimology, like, like, and that's kind of what you're saying, Joey. I'm denouncing some corporate sin, but I have no sin. I have an identity as a victim, you know, like, and that's that's dangerous too. Mm-hmm. Well. And I think there's also that I, I want I think it's helpful to me to to pair it with there's a so that, you know, mm-hmm. like like the, it makes me think of is it second Corinthians, the therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. You know, so it's mm-hmm. it's we it's also not just sitting down there and saying, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad, we're bad, we're bad, we're bad. It's saying mm-hmm that's a contrast to the goodness of God and the solution. You know, we see I'm part of the problem and we say that so that we can really clearly identify there is a solution and, and it's Jesus, you know? So I think that's helpful too, to always kind of try to keep those together too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I know this is kind of sort of tying into the second point, but at the end mm-hmm. of the first point, I kind of wrote down, um, <laughs> uh, with this whole denouncing corporate sin, um, man, this is a way for, for me to realize uh, this is a learning experience and, and pray, God, by your grace, would you give me the strength to, to stay away from this sin that I mm-hmm. recognize is a sin. I recognize that this is a wrongdoing. And uh, with that, could you help and heal my heart, you know, mm-hmm. so that I don't contribute farther to this sin so i don't take this sin and commit Mm. other sins because of this kind of like you guys were talking about um in a way i guess swinging the pendulum from this side heavy to this side trying to overcorrect and uh instead of letting god kind of heal my heart and and asking for grace uh for these sins yeah confession Mm. is a means of grace i think yeah Mm -hmm. that's that's really good I have two more things on the first point. Anybody have anything else on the first point? Well, my first thing is the reminder that you gave that what keeps you from making the same dumb mistakes is confession. And my question is, 
you might have said it this way and I don't remember, but I put the word corporate in parentheses. So I put it as what keeps you from making the same dumb mistakes is corporate confession. So that applies to both. Do you think that's accurate that corporate confession stops us from corporately making dumb mistakes again and personal confession stops making personal dumb mistakes again? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's not the only thing, but yeah, I I mean, I think it's a valuable part of the process. It's a, it's a learning process, you know, it's a, um, yeah, the, the best material I've, I've seen on this interaction where you really look at the law and right and wrong, but your grace empowered is this book called the gospel centered life. And it really helps you kind of sort that out. Um, so I think sometimes as grace people were, we're afraid of law, but law is really helpful. You know, uh, trying to think of what it's called. It's called a third use of the law, but Calvin had this thing of like, like it's, it's helpful in your life, you know, like it's a useful guide. It's like, a um, you're learning through the process. So anyway, I think that's a part of what's going on there in confession. You're saying, Oh, that's, that's not the way I should go. This is the way I should go. And if our identity is in grace, that works. If our identity is not in grace, that quickly devolves into Phariseeism where we think this is right and that is wrong. And I'll, I'll do right and not wrong. And I'll do it on my own strength without God's help. You know, then we can move away from grace. But I think in a grace framework, yeah, it's super helpful to just help us be aware of the pitfalls of falling into that same hole we fell into before. Mm-hmm. This is the way. Mm-hmm. This is the way. But it makes me think too of like the thing we've we've sometimes labeled labeled virtue signaling. Mm-hmm. You know, that I think that's that could be one of the sources of that is the corporate confession without the personal confession, right? Mm-hmm. When you're, you're publicly and also corporately denouncing to man mm-hmm. And not to God, not not yeah. taking it to God, right? That seems like yeah, yeah. it's like an em- empty shell. That's kind of what we're describing when we say that is, you're saying these things because it's the the feels the right thing to do, but you haven't owned it. So yeah, uh, that's an interesting tie in my head. Yeah, and I think that's good. I mean, so the in our country, just to name it more specifically, you know, conservatives criticize liberals for this because, again, it's like conservatives think oh you're f- you're doing that in a fake way so i'll never do it you know <laughs> you yeah. know like yeah well it's possible to do it honestly before god you know so i, th- I think that's the tension in our our culture right now so like mm-hmm. liberals are always doing it but maybe in kind of a fake way just to earn brownie points and then conservatives are like ah, oh, i see that fake thing i'm never going to do it you know mm-hmm. i'm only going to talk positively and it's that that just increases the polarization i think so my final thought on this point or question on this point is you stated um, that we don't really have a way to corporately grieve or denounce sin um, like has been in the past. And I guess my question is to everyone else, do you think that there is any corporate way to um, to grieve or denounce sin? What do you guys think? We could do it every Sunday in the middle of the singing time. <laughs> well, I mean, no, to no. be fair, though, that Sorry, really no. is personal confession when we do it. We do it together, but we do it personally mm-hmm. most of the time. But Yeah. I think it's a mix of both. I, yeah, and it's hard to even define what uh, that question. Like, I was – sorry, I'm so far from the mic. 
it's hard to define that because what I was trying to get at was that like particular expression of sackcloth and ashes. Like mm-hmm. we can pray, we can verbally do this, but they had kind of cultural expressive ways to do it with the, oh, I'm going to for 40 days fast and put on sackcloth and ashes, you know, and we just, to me, it doesn't seem like we have those like secondary cultural ways to do it. I'm just wondering if anybody thinks there are any. Anyone? Anyone? It's almost like physical traditions of... Yeah, maybe a liturgy, we would say, or a artistic expression. It just seems like we're lacking in artistic and liturgical... Or visual body express. Um, we don't wear sackcloth and ashes. We don't fast. No, like those are the four ways that they did it in the Bible. We don't do any of those four things. No clue what you said because you broke up, but we'll get it in the audio recording later. Um, (laughs) But you're back now. We're all right. I was going to say, I think think protest might be a form of corporate confession. And I know that now Mm. when you say, when we say protest, Mm. it's like, oh, do you mean riots? Do you mean whatever? But I mean, like, you know, good, clean protest like that. Yeah, at least in America, uh, has kind of not been setting things on fire, but has kind of been really expressing a form of corporately expressing wrongdoing. I think mm-hmm. maybe I think that's pointing a finger, though. Still, that's I mean, what do you mean? And maybe rightly so sometimes. But is that pointing the finger back at yourself when you're in a protest? And it, it like yeah, like you said, the good version of a protest even is that pointing mm-hmm. the finger at yourself? Uh, I, I don't okay. think so. I mean, yeah, ones I've been to some, yeah, but some. That's, yeah. I mean, that's cool. Yeah, what there's some that are built around, okay, we've got this wrong. We need to fix mm. it. I guess some, usually those ones that I go to are more called rallies. That okay, sounds maybe bad that's too a better now. word. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah. uh, usually there's these protest rallies. Yeah, Joe, they just both sound bad. And the, it's, <laughs> that you go yeah. to, and they're more built around, okay, we've we've got this problem, and we've all got this wrong. How can we fix it? I went to one in Belton where there was basically this uh, Confederate memorial place mm-hmm. and the citizens of Belton were like, we we kind of don't like this. How can we honor this memorial site without burning it down, kicking it over, um, just sorts of things. And they ended up taking it from a conversation in the park to the city hall to and end result doing something about it so i think maybe that's what chris is saying because usually the protests we do see they're like you guys are wrong and if you don't do what we demand you do we're gonna make it hard for you and (laughs) i think that's that's one of the only ones i've seen where it's like okay we as a people have got to come together and fix this and i think that's probably a better expression of what that looks like Mm. yeah it's cool it makes me want to, uh, not to belabor the point, but it's interesting to me because it's like I, I always like to uh, like pick apart what is actually happening and then build something on top of it, right? So, mm-hmm. so like the sackcloth and ashes, to me, if you were going to have a modern version of that, you'd have to understand what, what is it really going on there. And it's kind of this weird public display, right? Like, so it almost seems wrong in a certain conservative Christian way. Like, I'm going to display how shameful I am. Or I'm going to. Yeah. So does that make sense, Dave? Like, yeah. what, 
I mean, Jesus commands us not to show it publicly. Right. Right. So, I mean, that is that is part of it. Yeah. So, what was the good good thing being accomplished? It was a. I guess because it was uncomfortable for the person. Is that is that part of it? Is like I'm actually depriving myself of something in order to like embody this seriously yeah. or something. And I don't think. Now, this is a good project for us. Uh, I could try to look this up. I don't think it's ever commanded, right? Mm. Like, confession is commanded, grief is commanded. I don't know that sackcloth and ashes is ever commanded. It's just assumed. You know, it's like, that's part of the confusion with fasting. Fasting, like mm. Jesus talks about it. He's like, hey, when you fast, fast this way. You know, like, it's assumed oh. you're going to fast. Of course you're going to fast. So I, I guess I'm just trying to point out this, like, why is there this big hole in our culture of something that was just normal for them and a part of their spiritual life is, is now missing from ours uh, so I think yeah I think there's definitely a tension there like you said that we don't we don't want to do it just for a public display but it's also not wrong to do things publicly right. you know when Jesus was talking about the critis the criticisms of public fasting and public prayer I don't think he was really forbidding anyone from ever you know, letting anyone see what they were doing. He was just saying, don't make that your goal. You know, don't do it to to be seen by men. Um, I wonder, too, yeah. if it's like, uh, it's partially that we've kind of gotten away from almost all physical forms of worship. You mm -hmm. know, like, mm -hmm. yeah, that that's kind of a way to put your mind and your body into where mm -hmm. you're, you know, your heart should yeah. be, I guess, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. and we just don't really do that at all it's mm -hmm. really yeah. good i think it's a weakness of our of our movement and when you say we it's probably our brand of christians right i think charismatic oh, christians are way more expressive yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. that's a great point too of it just yeah in your personal times of worship do you bow you know do you have any yeah. posture whatsoever even like i was i had an interesting conversation with my kids because like we were struggling with getting them to stand during worship. Like as silly as that is, it's like I had to sit them down and say, guys, God gave you everything. Are you willing mm -hmm. to show honor by standing for mm -hmm. 20 minutes? Like you can mm -hmm. physically do that. And that's the least you can do. And, but it's that same kind of interesting. Yeah. Maybe there's a, that that's more honor and, and uh, rejoicing in it. But is there, yeah, physical postures we should think about? That's really, that's really good. Mm -hmm. We're not going to beat Dave's sermon. Point two? Nope. nope. <laughs> Point two is ask for Point undeserved two. kindness. Ask for undeserved yes. kindness. And you said or defined undeserved kindness as grace, which you said sometimes um, can be broken down in acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. Also, another way of saying it is unmerited favor. Did I miss any other ways to describe um, grace or undeserved kindness, unmerited favor. Yeah. I think the key verse was 14, which was it? 18. Was it? We no. don't ask because Eight. of our righteousness, but because yeah. of your mercy. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Just kidding. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> I mean, one point of one point that popped in my head was the, the this comparison of, of, quote unquote the God of the Old Testament and quote unquote the God of the New Testament. Yeah. And, 
that was such a good like every time I see those moments in the Old Testament of the clear graciousness because mm-hmm. it does sometimes feel like the way God acted in the Old Testament was much more judgmental and harsh and then we're tempted to think that Jesus was only fluffy kindness <laughs> instead of you know there's a lot to the contrary but yeah so in this in this moment that's that clear like God has always been gracious uh, we just don't always understand it Mm-hmm. I thought that was really good. Yeah, I think you said we get caught up in the emphasis on judgment and on holiness. Mm-hmm. Thought that was a mess. Yeah, I, I was, I mean, I felt like I even learned this week as I was going back and reading those passages in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. It's just, I was like, oh, oh yeah, like, you know, this is something I've preached multiple times. It's a funny thing, I guess this happens to all of us. You know, you're reading your Bible, you're reading your Bible, and you're like, Oh yeah, that thing I already believed is really, really, really true. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, it kind of shocked me. I think how mm-hmm. how clear because I think I kind of expected the exile passages to be like, if you sin, I'm going to exile you. The end. But he's just like, just turn, just repent. You know, just <laughs> just be sorry for your sin, and I'll I'll heal you. I'll forgive you. Um, yeah, it's crazy. Love it. I agree. You did say that uh, the wrath of God is displayed in a certain way. Anybody remember what that way was? Mm. He said, the, yeah. anyone? Romans one way? The wrath of God is displayed by him giving us up to our own desires, giving us over to our desires. That is right. And you said... Uh, I guess you went on from there probably talking about grace and mercy and him not giving us to our desires is grace. Is that right? I don't remember. Mm-hmm. Just reading my notes because it's quiet. I remember. I remember saying it. I don't remember which part it was. <laughs> That's all right. I think it, I was talking about how we expect judgment. Part of what confuses us in this is we expect judgment to be immediate but it's not always. God is sometimes like patiently waiting and giving us more time. And so, mm. when you said uh, uh, confession is the key to heaven because uh, Jesus is the key to grace, mm-hmm. kind of made me think. Uh, there's this old story that an old youth pastor of mine used to tell that this man died, went to heaven. Um, so he's at the gates, if you will, and he's trying to get into heaven. So he's like, I fed the poor. And the angel is like, it's like half a point. <laughs> he's like, but then, <laughs> but then I, uh, I cared for the widow. And he's like, it's like another half a point. So he's like, you need a hundred points to get in. So he's like, I told you everything that I've done by the grace of God, who can get in this place? And he was like, did you say the grace of God? Ah, mm-hmm. oh, that's all you need to come in. So he just would always reminds us. That, mm-hmm. uh, and he would, he would say that too. Jesus is the key to heaven. But I think you took a step farther in saying Jesus is also the key to grace, um, which is is in a way sort of like uh makes the old testament point of this grace uh, like chris was talking about more beautiful um Mm -hmm. to me because it's like there are moments where i'm like oh like you were saying jesus is the reason uh uh 
solely that I have grace. Nobody in the Old Testament surely had this thing called grace. Um, mm. And man, I, I read it and I'm like, no, God was, God was very gracious. He was very loving. He was very judgmental. Uh, he was all these things. Mm. And confession, sometimes for, for me, I would always go look for this in the New Testament um, with someone repenting of their sin. Mm-hmm. But God it was always encouraging this in the Old Testament, too. You guys have sinned. This is what you have done. Your people have done this. I need you guys to repent and turn to me. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's always the, if you don't do the, turn to me, then I will bring this and this. But he's always been this gracious God to say, turn from your sin, turn to me. Uh, and, and, yeah, that just always makes me think this Old Testament beauty of God's grace and his his prompting of confession uh, has has always been evident, and it's not a new characteristic that he holds. Yeah, mm. yeah. Can you talk about well, the keys to the kingdom? What does that even phrase mean? Because you showed a picture, you know, Paul holding yeah. a big key. It's like keys mm-hmm. to the kingdom, and I thought, huh, I'm not sure that we all even know what that means. So maybe you yeah, can so, describe that a little more. Yeah, there's a, a few different. New Testament references. Um, one of the one of the main ones is when Peter says, "You are the Christ," and uh, Jesus is like, "Well, based on that, then you are the rock, right?" And he kind of he kind of gives Peter this leadership position, and there's a big debate. Basically, Catholics make it all about Peter's authority. Christians make it all about Peter's confession. And I think when you compare it to the parallel texts, it's pretty clear that it is all about the confession. I still think Peter was like the leader of the apostles. It's pretty obvious he was the leader of the apostles, right? So that was a part of it, but but it was all about the confession. And so Jesus says in other places, like, you know, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And there's some of that key language there. And so it's this authority that Jesus gave to the apostles when you again compare that with all of scripture, that authority is the gospel. <laughs> you know, it's it's speaking who Jesus is is what opens up the door of heaven. It's what binds things on earth and binds things in heaven. They sound again Middle Eastern cultural differences. It sounds to us like Jesus was just saying, "Whatever you do is right," you know, like this weird authoritarian kind of thing. But when you read it and compare it to the rest of scripture, it's it's obvious that what he's saying is. You guys have this beautiful message, which is the the key. <laughs> you know, the gospel is the key, and you get to proclaim this gospel, which which has this eternal heavenly sort of power. Um, so I was trying to say that's this real clear New Testament key: the gospel, Jesus Christ, the cross. And look, it's it's in the Old Testament too. You know, it's not it's not just a New Testament key; it's actually an Old Testament key as well. Mm. It gives me such compassion in a strange way for for non-believers because i it's such a backwards such a backwards thing for our our natural way of thinking like um i was just thinking like is kendrick was talking about confession like so i i I see again and again jesus does this so much of just pushing us to the end of ourselves right like 
you know, the eye of the needle for a rich man. It's, with, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. But but we we should have this, I think, a sense of compassion for unbelievers as they're basically, they're their own God. They're all they have. They're the thing they depend on. And what we're saying is, realize you're not enough. Like, uh. you cannot be enough. And so it's this just, there's got to be this wrestling match in your soul when you're coming to Christ in a sense of saying, my whole life I've been trying to deserve this kindness, to be enough, to earn it. And you're just saying, give up? Like, what in the world? Like, th- that's the, the, how do you win by stopping, you know, like, by giving up? And I, it's just such a beautiful but but mind-boggling thing of, yeah, you must reach the end of yourself. And over again, the scripture is doing that. Is, and, and, and again, if you don't ever get the full picture of the gospel, of course it's offensive. Of course it's the, it's the you know smell of life to 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 those who are being saved and the stench of death who aren't because they're looking on the outside and saying you keep shouting at me that I'm not enough. Wh- what do you want from me, right? And and that's the whole thing is like more than you could ever give. That's what's required. You have to receive it from the outside. It's that it's got to be righteousness from somewhere else is the only way. But anyway, I don't know. I just think that's a beautiful and important thing for us to hold on to um, yeah. about about confession. It's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I, I think thought... Dave, you were. Mm-hmm. Oh, Joey. No, you're good. Mm-hmm. I think Dave, you were talking about. I'm not sure if you were. Is that Matthew 16, where you mm-hmm. were? Okay, man, that kind of what Chris was talking about and what you just said, well, that scripture is very simple, but um, mm-hmm. when Peter's like, thou art the Christ, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it just seems like there's this almost awakening of of who Jesus is because they were like, well, some people say you're Jeremiah, and you're one of the prophets, Elijah. Mm-hmm. And he's like, no, but what is your confession about mm-hmm. me? And he's like, mm-hmm. you're the Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. So when I read this, it's like this thing where Chris was saying he's constantly pushing us to the end of ourselves. Mm-hmm. And then I would even add, so he's saying, okay, so now since you know you can't be enough, yeah, the people keep shouting at you, but but who am I? And it's like mm-hmm. I'm the I'm the Christ. I'm mm-hmm. the Messiah. I'm the Savior. That because you're not enough, came and died so that you can give me your filth and I can give you this and you can be made righteous through these works and these deeds that I've done. So man, that, I don't know, that scripture is just eye-opening to me. It's like this whole moment of realization. Like, oh man, he's the Christ. This beautiful moment of, you're not Mm -hmm. a prophet, you're the savior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, the idea that part of praying, part of confessing is asking for undeserved Mm -hmm. kindness Mm-hmm. And then our response is showing that to others. I thought was a really good point. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. I think the only... I have one more thing for this. Do you guys have anything mm-hmm. else for second point? All right. I have... I don't know exactly what it meant. I have hospitality-stranger love. Was it just a definition of hospitality? You called it stranger love? Stranger love. That's the Greek compound word, stranger love. Love of the stranger, caring for the yep. stranger. 
Yep. Xenophilia. I also wrote Judas 8 too, but I don't remember why I wrote that. <laughs> oh, I said uh, another way to look at hospitality and showing grace to others is, is the washing of feet picture that Jesus mm-hmm. gives us. And I was like, and that was, you know, his, his enemies too were, were in there. Judas. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All That's right. Awesome. Third point. Mm-hmm. We're, we might beat Dave if we're really quick on the third point. All right. Third point is live like you are loved. And I only have two things here, and I don't know that they're even uh, – maybe I have to actually look at your notes for this one. But here's the first thing that I wrote. Daniel keeping time by the temple, even though it was destroyed. I thought that was really cool. I don't, I don't remember why I thought it was that cool, but I wrote it down because I was like, dang, that's crazy. Yeah shaped shaped his worldview so much that he's like yeah i just i thought that was a really cool thing mm-hmm. you hit this harder well this is farther down but yeah you hit this harder i caught it more at the evening service but you talked about daniel thought it was going to be 70 years yeah. we're in like year 67 mm-hmm. and instead of putting his feet up on the couch He's pressing in and begging God to do what he said he would do or what he, what he thought he said he would do. Uh, that was such a strong, like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I think all of us kind of probably wrestle a little bit with that God's sovereignty in our prayer. Like, oh, what does that look like? And I definitely mm-hmm. have had those moments of falling into the the bad camp of, well, God's going to just do what he does. So what the, what's the point of talking about it, you know, or asking him for the thing he already said, but Daniel's showing us, man, he's, he's in the fight to the end. Like so good. Mm. Yeah. I think that's huge, huge. I mean, cause it's in the middle of all these visions, you know, like Daniel's getting these visions where God says, I've got the whole plan worked out. I mean, it's like, on the on the spectrum of God's sovereignty, this is high high sovereignty, you know, high control. God <laughs> God's got it all worked out. This is the next five hundred years. I've got it mapped out, Daniel. And still, Daniel is is pressing into prayer. Yeah, it's also it feels like that. It's sometimes called holy discontent too. Of like, mm-hmm. he could have also just said, "Man, I'm just going to live in Babylon, whatever." Like what? Yeah. You know, you talked about the longing for home. But one thing you didn't, I don't think I heard you say, but is also possible is just, you could just give up on home. He could have just been like, nah, I mean, I'm, I'm done with, I'm done with Jerusalem. I'm just going to, yeah. you know, die in Babylon, whatever. It doesn't matter. Yeah. I like, that's how some of us, I can, I think can get maybe unintentionally, but just like, I, I, I'm done longing, you know, I'm just going to, well, going to grab and, what I can here, you know? Yeah. And I mean, and, and what we understand is he did die, you know, not right. technically Babylon, it was Persia, but yes, you know, he, he, he died in exile, but he, and this is why he's such a Christ figure. It's not his sin. It's actually his people's sin, but he's, he's bearing the weight of his people's sin and he's praying for their redemption like he's making, he's going into sackcloth and ashes when he's done everything right. You know, he's mourning, he's suffering, he's praying for this next generation and the generation after that and us, you know, years later, which is really cool. And I guess the thing I'm, I'm saying is he didn't just turn off his heart and he didn't just yeah. turn off his longing to be home yeah. when he could have like, like that, that temp, even that back to the temple moment. He was staying engaged with the fact that this is not where I should be. This is not where we yeah. should be, right? Like, 
Mm-hmm. That's such a it's such a hard thing to do. It's easy to just try to insulate our hearts against that mm-hmm. longing. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. There's there's mourning in Babylon. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> By the way, I did want to say mm-hmm. in the evening service especially, you kept saying mm-hmm. that this should be a song or I feel like it's a song. Live like you yeah. are loved Live is like a song. Loved. Ah, see? Yeah. And it's like a line from one of Chris's songs. So what's the what's the song? Live like you are loved. Who's it by? It's it's by Hawk Nelson. Ah, okay. I knew Hawk Nelson well. I don't know that song. The only song I can think of is I mean, "Live Like You Were Dying." I mean, there, yeah, there's that too. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there's like a Tim McGraw song that's kind of like that's the like your love just, or something like that. Yeah, that's oh. it. That's yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Hmm. Anyways. <laughs> I just wanted to make that. <laughs> well, well, regardless of our song choices, we should live that way anyway. Well, I can say this now because of Marion Webster. Well, irregardless well, of our song choices, we can. Irregardless. <laughs> irregardless. What? Dave, say, I, uh, this is like. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, you go. I feel like this is like a. Like you, you say this often in a lot of your sermons. You say something along the lines of like we well i mean this is scriptural like we love because he loves us but the mm-hmm. reason why we f- forget to love people is because we forget that we are loved by god mm-hmm. and like and yeah. like live like you're loved like s- stop forgetting like stop acting like you're an orphan like you're not an orphan you've been accepted into like his family like you're an heir to the throne just as jesus is like and I was, and like, I know that this is like a shameless plug, but like, I was listening to Chris's, uh, piece to you, my soul again. And it was like, um, from filthy rags into a kingly robe. And I'm just like, ugh, like we uh... are, we are chosen exiles. Like this is not our home. Like we are meant for a bigger place, a bigger and better place. But while we're here, we have to do like our job to be, like God's hands and feet and like we should be so honored to be like a vessel but we forget you know like we forget so often because it's like a Mm -hmm. daily reminder it's supposed to be a daily reminder like you are Mm -hmm. loved like every single day you have to remind yourself of this but Mm -hmm. I think the the, uh, man great point that that reminds me of um, Peter and like John 21 He's like, Jesus is gone. Let's go fishing. And then they mm-hmm. got in the boat and they didn't even catch anything that night. So it's like mm-hmm. the vanity of just saying, oh, God's got it all figured out. We don't have to do anything else. We don't have to yeah. pray or anything. But you make the point saying uh, God's sovereignty should lead us to him in prayer. And, mm-hmm. I, and I thought that was a really good point because it's easy to be like, you know what? <laughs> Let's just go to the end. God's mm-hmm. got this figured out. I don't have to do anything, but like Eunice was saying, we forget that we're loved uh, by God, so we forget to love others. And I think that we sometimes forget that God works his will out through us as broken people as well. Um, mm-hmm. And just allowing ourselves to be uh, used in whatever capacity God would desire. But yeah, mm-hmm. ultimately, I think that's a good reminder of, man, I, uh, uh, God is still as much as he has ordained the end, he's still ordained mm-hmm. as well the means by which 
the end will come and the hands that yeah. he will use to do the work mm-hmm. until the end comes and uh, mm-hmm. help us be willing, mm-hmm. be willing vessels for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty amazing that God actually likes to use us, you know? Like, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> it's it's an interesting, maybe nerd, few seconds of nerd moment. I'm going to ruin us. We're not going to make it in time, but it's too late. I, I just, I've been pondering. Oh, it's too late. Dun, 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 dun. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I just have been thinking about that, talking to people. Um, and really, I mean, in the worship, worship songwriting land, there's, there's, there's this vast spectrum of people who talk about strict theology and people who talk about Jesus, like it's your boyfriend or girlfriend, like really mushy, gushy, lovey, 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 lovey. And so I, I, I'm, you know, I've just been pondering this of how you experience God's love, how you feel it viscerally, like the people who write these super mushy, gushy songs, like what are they experiencing? And is it something different than what I'm experiencing? Or is it, is it me that's different? You know, just wrestling through this. I don't know if you guys have, have had that, that feeling. We don't talk about it very much, but of how you actually like, I guess I'm an intuitive person. So I'm very aware of the things I really hold to be true. I often reach in an intuitive oh, it's just obviously true, right? It's not a stacking up of evidence kind of way in my head necessarily. It's just I I just, I just, run into it and it's and I see it and I feel it and I know it and it's real. So so sometimes my intuition feels wrong. Um, I think I'm just coming, I've just been coming to this point of, and maybe this is helpful for someone out there listening, I don't know, or watching, uh, but like even like we, we've studied these things like the love languages and knowing, man, Different people receive love and understand that they are loved through different methods kind of often. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's not pure, I don't think. I think everyone can get it from things that they're not fluent in necessarily. But um, I've just thought about that and, and what an important exercise it might be for us to know that about ourselves mm-hmm. and pay attention so like, if you're a physical touch type of a person, that could be one of the hardest places to be when you're just re- just reading the Bible over and over again, and you think that's the only way God communicates. That is the clearest, you know, unpacking of things. But sometimes you need, might need to say, like, man, God gave me my wife. When I get that hug, I need to know that hug, in a sense, is from God, right? Like that mm-hmm. is a gift. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or, you know, or gifts, like gift giving. I, anyway, I don't want to go too far down this, like, man-made constructive love languages. But I think there's something there that's so important. And, and especially when you say, I don't feel loved by God right now. Mm-hmm. Like, taking a moment to say, when have I felt loved? Was it a moment of whatever fellowship with another person in a moment and, and it's just fellowship with other people gone right now and so i'm yeah. wrong, wrongly saying god stopped loving me because in the pandemic i'm not getting to hang out with people right now you know what i'm mean? mm-hmm. saying like mm-hmm. you got yeah. a new battle maybe does that make sense anybody want to yeah. piggyback off of that i don't know yeah Do you, have you felt that <laughs> i was for sure i think i mean like so when you're in the beginning when you were talking it made me think of like uh like jesus and all of the things that he said about children so like Mm. like 
talking about a non-Christian, like, I mean, just anyways, like, as children, we, like, explore our creativity, we have a huge imagination, and then life happens, and, like, we just slowly are, it either, like, is smothered, or, like, it we just grow out of it, right? Mm-hmm. But then, like, to have, like, that childlike sense of wonder and like awe and like watching a baby like walk for the first time or experience new things like that's kind of like what we should be experiencing with god but we like let life get in the way or we use life as an excuse right like i have to be realistic or like i can't think like this because god is my judge like god will judge me someday but then we forget the father side of him right like like he is our father, our loving father, our perfect father, and like our earthly fathers are not like he, they're nothing compared to like what God is. But we still let that affect our like our view of God. Um, and so I guess it's like like trying to like think back of like, well, why can I only think of God like as my judge instead of my actual father? Like he loves me just the same. And I think it's just, like, an aspect of, like, I mean, I don't know. I think of David a lot, like, when I'm, like, struggling with, like, my view with God. Like, David had such a, like, crazy King, relationship. King with David him. in the Bible? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not you. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, that's what... <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> yeah. I don't call you Dave. Anyways. Bible fine. Dave. Call him yeah, Bible yeah, Dave. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bible yeah, Dave. Bible Dave. <laughs> But like he but he would like start off saying like why do you do this to me like why do you make us suffer blah 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 but at the end it's like but I still praise you like I love you like thank you for everything you've given me I don't know it just like it made me think of that but yeah, yeah. <laughs> No that's that's so true I think uh for what you were saying Chris it's just uh your intuition it just this thing is true it hits you and I think for me uh well, one of the, there's First Kings 19. I kind of relate to a lot because Jezebel threatens Elijah. He runs away. He goes sits under this tree. God killed me. Uh, I'm no better than my fathers. And God, then he's like, ah, just eat, dude. <laughs> Drink some water. Like, just eat. Mm. So he's he's taking care of his his this hand of divinity is taking care of humanity, literally, mm. and. At the end, he's like, "If by the way, you're not the only one going through this. Uh, I've got so many thousands more people who won't bow their knee. And mm-hmm. I think for me, that's kind of how I feel it is through community. I, I have to mm-hmm. feel that you that my community is with me. You know, that uh, we mm-hmm. share in this in this joy, like uh, when people do great things in past tests, and we share in mm-hmm. this hurt. And then this pain together, and it's like, uh, for me, uh, once once I see that, oh man, we we are all together in this. We're God's body. It's like this overwhelming sense of love that I know uh, I have, and so I think, yeah, I, I totally relate to that. And that that's kind of how it hits me hard. It's through it's through community, sort as that sounds, because I'm sort of introverted, but mm. yeah, that's yeah, good. I think that's yeah. I think it's very common. But that's to your point too, Dave, to wrap that all together. It's like, but the foundation of God's love is always the cross, 
regardless of our experience right now. Yeah. yeah. But also the cross helps us interpret our experience of life. So because we know of the cross, because we have God's scripture, we can see things that are that he's gifting to us and know it's from him, you know. Right. So I think it like helps in both situations when good things are happening. <clears throat> you can know you can see that in light of the gospel. When bad things are happening, you know, the gospel still stands and has not changed. Um, mm-hmm. So we don't have to rely on our intuition <laughs> necessarily or, mm-hmm. or just what we feel is true. We can come back to scripture and rest in it. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The mm-hmm. your idea that bad stuff is still going to come, but God's still in charge. We can rely on that. And then, yeah, yeah I think your strong cross connection at the end too was was probably where we should end, huh? Mm-hmm. Your uh, <laughs> that Jesus was exiled for us, and we're exiles mm-hmm. for the world, and mm-hmm. uh, that in view of God's mercy, we can offer ourselves as living sacrifices. What does that look like to be a living sacrifice? A couple minutes, and then we're done. Living sacrifice? Yeah. <clears throat> I just keep going back to the parables when Jesus gives the end time stuff. So I was trying to make the connection that there's some disagreement and confusion over this end times prediction in Daniel 9, and there's some disagreement and confusion over Jesus's end times predictions in uh, Matthew 24. But then he gives clear parables of this is what you do. This is, you know, stay ready, serve other servants, be ready to party like the wedding parable and Hmm. invest your talents. And that's like, we're given instructions. We know what to do. We got, this is how we stay ready for his return. So, um, I think it's totally, uh, fine and good to continue to study end times and like have a view. I think it's actually a little bit dangerous. We're at this time in history where, we're swinging away from like this, you know, the 70s obsession with dispensational end times has swung the other direction to like it's cool to not care now, you know. Um, mm. But either way, whether you're obsessed with the details or you don't care about the details, we have clear instructions of how to wait for the return of Jesus. Mm. Keep those lamps lit. Keep our lamps lit, baby. <laughs> Put oil in your lamps. Keep the wicks trimmed. Last minute thoughts? Last minute thoughts. Keep praying. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dave said, God answers quick, but the answer may not get to us as fast. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> keep praying. Last last thought is just, I love the quote you said, uh, we are loved by God, uh, and he is our king, and he's also a good king. Very mm-hmm. comforting. Mm-hmm. Chris, last thought. Hang on, people. Yeah, I don't know. It's just good. Yeah, I love the praying. Uh, I was with uh, Kinder Kid at heart with that. What was it you said, Dave, about praying is an expression of our relationship with God, or it it shows how deep our relationship yeah. goes. That was that was convicting to me again. Oh, like, yeah. oh man, oh man, yeah, yeah got to do it, got to do it. Mm-hmm. Eunice, last thought. Live like you are loved. <laughs> <laughs> Write songs about it. Uh-huh. Dave, last thought. Uh. 
we should do a special podcast on uh, eschatology. What do you think? <laughs> sure. When I can you start releasing it? discussed this and we didn't discuss any of the details but yeah <laughs> i mean there's you already spent 69 an hour on clumps it, so. of seven years <laughs> yes all right we'll do clumps a special one tomorrow it'll be our uh, don't worry about the election edition on my driveway for people that want to understand historic premillennialism and how it differs from dispensationalism, amillennialism, postmillennialism, and all the other views. We'll start that podcast in a week, which could yeah. mean seven years. Mm, we'll start or it in seven. the number seven. In the third 69th clump of seven years. Be ready, people. We'll let you know on the social media. Simple 483 years, people. Come on. <laughs> All right. Enough math jokes and time jokes. All right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. This has been Sunday Recap, and we will see you all for our special edition tomorrow night. Just kidding. We'll see you all next week.